0: Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we are asking the question, what happened to communion? If you listened to last week's episode, you know that we asked the question then, what happened to baptism? And had a conversation about the ways that the evangelical church typically views that sacrament and how it's a little bit different, maybe a lot of bit different than how Christians viewed it through history. Well, the same is true of communion. So today, John and I are going to consider the Lord's Supper. Why did God give it to us? What is it for? And The answers to those questions might surprise you. We hope that you find it to be very encouraging and hope-giving, because for many of you, frankly, the Lord's Supper has probably been something that's produced anxiety rather than giving you assurance and nourishment and sustenance and strength. So be encouraged in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for you today. Over in SR, we're going to try to be helpful to people who are in a context where the Supper is maybe not practiced as regularly, and we're going to give some thoughts there in general about Reformed worship. So stay tuned. If you'd like to help support Theocast, you can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Theocast encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a confessional, reformed and pastoral perspective. Your hosts today are John Moffat, who is pastor of Grace Reformed Church in beautiful Spring Hill, Tennessee. And I'm Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in also beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. John, it's good to be with you behind the microphones, man. And uh, we're here on a Wednesday. It's been a holiday week, a little bit unusual week for us, I guess, in that regard. Sometimes when you have uh, a day off, an extra day off, it can compress the rest of the week. I'm sure you're familiar with the things that I'm speaking of, (laughs) but we're doing well and are glad to be able to talk about our topic for today.
1: Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, you think about days off, I mean, Justin, you and I both take Mondays off and so Fourth of July fell on a Monday and it's kind of like, well, that kind of, that's a bummer. That's already my day off. (laughs) But then we just, like anybody
0: else, we move that, at least that our, our HR policy, we move that day off. And so then, yeah, Wednesday is now the first day back in the office and it just means there's a lot more to do in three days time. And, uh, yeah, here we go with you.
1: So we are excited about really a series we're doing, um, on the means of grace. So we talked about what is baptism last week and obviously we're not doing this in any kind of order. Uh, but we are going to attempt to kind of fin- finish this. Talk about preaching and prayer, uh, as we uh, the, as, and fellowship as the and other maybe means. even song, yeah, yes, yeah, and fellowship and song. Uh, but these are important because um, Justin and I would say it's the normal heart rest, the, heart, the resting heart rate of the Christian life. This is what God has given us. This is why I love the word ordinary. It's how we are to ordinary live within the um, sphere of God's grace. That's why we call it ordinary means of grace. But unfortunately, what has happened is that communion, like baptism, has shifted from being this ordinary um, uh, means that which God grows and sustains us and cares for us, and it has become something that is a negative experience for people. They became a- anxious. Uh, they worry about their position. They worry about their actions. So <clears throat> we're going to kind of look at what happened because of mm-hmm. things like revivalism and, and really pragmatism and what has happened to communion or the Lord's table, however it is that you want to use that. And then we're going to look at it from a biblical historical perspective and how it should be something that is celebrated in a way that excites our faith, not necessarily brings dread. It's true, Justin, you know, I grew up in a in a context where communion was not, we did not take it on a regular basis other than, you know, probably once a quarter. So if you missed it for whatever reason, um, you missed it. I know of people who would miss it on purpose because they didn't feel like they were worthy or ready. Um, mm. I know when the the passion video movie came out, a lot of people would watch that kind of the night before, mm. Saturday night before taking communion, kind of as a a reminder. Um, and so it became a very uh, heavy moment for. congregation but the Mm -hmm. biggest thing was just the self-examination right being able to really examine myself and see you know do i really am i coming in a worthy manner which i didn't even know what that meant other than i hope i didn't really had i hope i hadn't done something horrible the last week last month or the last quarter however long it had been going into it and so you have these quiet moments before communion where you're confessing your sins and it's really uh between me and God, which we're going to get to the word communion in a minute. And I love, yeah. love that word, but that communion isn't me between you and God. It's, it's different, but that's the experience most people have. And so they're okay if they, you know, if they've grown up in a church where their communion, the Lord's table isn't taken often and they're fine with it because it's not been a positive experience for them.
0: I too grew up in a church where it was, the Lord's table was not practiced, was not observed very often. Um, at one point, I mean, in my life, the only times that I remember really doing it was Easter Sunday and then Christmas Eve right. of all times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the Christmas Eve service is not even a Lord's day service. Mm-mm. And then the Easter Sunday service was when you would have as many visitors as you would ever have. So it's a very interesting, <laughs> uh, strategy and approach to it. And it might convey some of the misunderstandings that exist in many contexts. But then, yeah, I think for a portion of my young life too, it was, uh, Situation where we would observe the Lord's Supper once a quarter, like you were saying. And I want to maybe double down on some of the things that you said. We acknowledged this last week in our podcast on what happened to baptism. And in even asking these questions, what happened to baptism, what happened to communion, we are trying to communicate that the way in which the average evangelical would be thinking about these sacraments, or in particular, the way that the average evangelical has been taught. To think about these sacraments is not what Christians, certainly in the Reformed tradition, have always believed. And there are some good biblical confessional things that we can say, which is the second portion of today's podcast. But it's helpful to point out some of these things that I think will resonate with many of the listeners, even at the level of our experience. So we have turned the sacraments, being baptism and the Lord's Supper, wholesale. We have turned the sacraments into things that are about our faithfulness to God. Before they are ever about his faithfulness to us, Mm. it's about our devotion, our dedication, our sincerity, maybe some kind of personal fervor and intensity within us. And in particular, now thinking about the Lord's Supper, like you said, I think that the Lord's Supper is one of the most anxiety producing experiences for many believers, for many well meaning saints. Mm. The table is Anxiety riddled and anxiety producing. It's this time where I need to make sure, like you said, like hyper introspection, and to make sure that I'm coming to the table in an appropriate manner, that I'm not coming in an unworthy way. And nobody really knows how to define that. And what we assume it means is multiple things. I better not have sinned greatly, you know, in in the span from the last time that I took the supper to now, because if I did, I, I probably shouldn't come. Um, I need to work myself up into some kind of emotional frenzy where I feel appropriately grieved over my sin and I feel an appropriate amount of intensity in terms of my devotion to God and my desire to be godly. And if I can't get myself into that right emotional framework then maybe I shouldn't come.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know. Yeah. And yeah, it becomes this frightening thing where we are waiting on God to judge us and drop the hammer. Because we are not doing well enough, and we're not feeling the way we should,
1: mm.
0: which as I'm just saying this, John, I mean you can we'll maybe talk about this more in a minute how Pietism and revivalism, two historical movements and two methods of thought, streams of thought in the Christian Church, it's obvious how these things have affected this. Yeah, uh, because of just the emphasis on what we feel and the emphasis on a, a hyper introspection and and all of that. Mm. But I just want to reiterate. We have turned the supper into something that is about my faithfulness, our faithfulness to God. And so then the, it raises all kinds of questions like, mm-hmm. well, what is the supper for? <laughs> is this just like a badge of our discipleship? Is this uh, something that we're doing for God? Mm-hmm. You know, is this like a, a godliness check? Yeah. You know, as to are we doing well enough? And we're just trying to evaluate that four times a year or once a month. Um, is yeah. that the value of the table? Mm. You know.
1: Right, and this is a question that I love asking, and it's it was you know asked of me years ago when I was contemplating the means of grace. You know, what's more important, the sermon on Sunday or the Lord's table? And uh, everyone would always pick yes. the sermon, right? Yeah, they would always say, "Well, the sermon is the most important thing," and that's because they have never seen the biblical perspective of the table because the answer should be yes they're of equal value yes right because the table cannot come to us outside of the means of the word they must be together i mean this is why even the confessions and the reformers talk about this where you cannot separate the two now listen there's a there's a lot of reasons why we got to where we're at today a lot of one it's lack of confessionalism two pragmatism uh being every Sunday talking about the death of Christ for your sins doesn't work well in a church that's trying to promote this progress of the Christian life and and this happy celebratory, you know, it's all about progress and, and moving forward. Um, so you're not going to want to I mean, think, think about this television churches, these big churches. The reason why they don't want to do communion is that it's, it's not a high point of life. Uh, Sure. And so you have pragmatism, then you think about revivalism, where revivalism then uses as an opportunity to manipulate people and to control Mm -hmm. them. And not only that, it changes, it changes the outcome. And, And the reason why I know I was the explanation I was given of why don't, why don't we do this more often was, well, we don't want it to become meaningless like the Roman Catholic church, which it was always a response to To, the Roman Catholic church.
0: To which I would say, well, I guess we shouldn't preach every Sunday (laughs) or I mean, I I guess we shouldn't read the Bible every Sunday or sing every Sunday because those things are going to become meaningless.
1: Right. we don't talk about
0: that about anything else. No. You know, when it comes to the elements of corporate worship. Mm
1: -mm. So there's a, I want to go back to a word we've been using and then I have an illustration I think would be helpful here. So common union literally means, I'm sorry, communion means common union. Which, So we gather because we all are in common union with Christ. We all have a a commonality amongst us is that the, the spirit lives within us and all the benefits of Christ's resurrection are ours, right? Forgiveness of sins and inherited righteousness. So we gather, which is interesting is that Uh, To rightly receive the Lord's blessing of encouragement and faith increase, all of that has to happen within a particular way. In other words, you and I cannot just take bread and juice and think to ourselves, I'm now receiving Mm -hmm. communion from the Father because that is not true. Uh, It is regulated. It needs to be the
0: right administration.
1: That's right. It's regulated by scripture that it happens within the local body, administrated by the elders. By means of the word. In other words, we can't just all come in and silently sit there and take, no, the the gospel must be preached. Calvin makes a very strong argument for this, is that if it's not preached, then it's of no value. It must be with the word. Uh, But the point of it is we are in common union, meaning that there there is a sense that we like to individualize that moment where it's between me and God. But the, the 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 nature of it is is that we together are realizing that we are brought together because of what Christ has done. So as I hold the bread and as I hold the wine, I'm looking at my brothers and sisters in Christ who are also holding the bread and holding the wine, and saying we are about to receive this uh, uh, this encouragement of faith and strengthening of yeah. our faith.
0: Yeah, I think that we have obviously seen. A loss of an understanding of the real presence of Christ in the Lord's
1: Supper—that's
0: mm-hmm. not debatable, right? Because I think most people who would understand themselves to be evangelical—if you were to ask them, "What are we doing when we come to the table?" I think the the most anybody could say is, "Well, we're remembering what Christ did for That's us," right. um, and we need to do it in a worthy manner so we don't eat and drink judgment on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, those are probably the things that people could say, and. When I use the language of real presence, what I am saying is, I'm just a historically reformed Christian, that I understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand, John, that mm-hmm. the Lord Jesus Christ is really and spiritually present with his people and through the bread and wine, he ministers to us in our need That's right. and he, he blesses us. like We receive from Christ as we take the bread and the cup. And people don't think in these terms because well, that just sounds can I Roman just, Catholic. It right, sounds can I, sacerdotal, but, yeah. it's, but it's not. Go ahead.
1: Well, just to project in there, we, we would accept that from the preaching of the word. A human being speaking the word, we would agree that God we uses receive. that to powerfully bring yep. his word into our hearts. To communicate God his is, blessing. Right. God communicates his blessing through the frailty of a man. He also communicates yep. his blessings through means such as yes. bread and wine.
0: The Lord, I mean... He, even here, I don't mean to launch us down this road and we won't do this now. Maybe this is another podcast for another day if we wanted to, but the Lord has always conveyed spiritual blessing through physical means. That's right. He's always been about that. Mm-hmm. And so it shouldn't wig us out as Protestants, mm-hmm. you know, as reformed Protestants, that the Lord would convey grace to us received by faith through the physical means of bread and wine. Mm-hmm. It's not controversial. That's and right. so the Lord is present to meet us in our need. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But I think it's obvious that most people don't think in these terms, and that to me is probably a factor into the, the consideration of why the supper is not practiced as often as it is. Because if you understood it to be that, mm-hmm. a means of God's grace where the Lord ministers to us and meets us in our need and nourishes us spiritually, and He's really present with us when we do this, I think the burden of proof would lie with those who say, yeah, we shouldn't do that that often. It's not sure. that important. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, to be very clear, the Scripture does not prescribe a frequency. Mm-mm. in terms of how often we are to practice the lord's table but for us we understand means of grace the primary two being word and sacrament we want to administer those regularly in the assembled church on the lord's day mm. and the best way from my perspective and john i know you'll agree for my money the best way to respond to the preaching of the word is to come to the table
1: that's right yeah no you know, we don't need
0: altar calls we don't need all this yeah. nonsense we we come to the lord's t- table to receive christ there
1: yeah, we do a call every Sunday, a call to focus our hearts and minds and remembering what Christ mm-hmm. has done for us so that we might receive yeah. from the Father food. And he means, I mean, yes. this goes back to John 6, right? Correct. This is this uh, John, uh, Justin, also uh, speaking of John 6 and the idea of food, mm. you know, um, I'm going to be preaching on this, and so we're going to do a podcast on this soon on prayer. But when Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. I do believe he is in referencing there, not a physical realm of sustaining, but he means a spiritual realm of sustaining that God sustains us through spiritual means. Because, I mean, how many thousands of Christians throughout the years who have star- died from starvation or lack of, and, sure. and, and it wasn't because they were in disobedience, they were in obedience sure. to God. So we have to be careful in how we use that there. But th- we, we come out, we somehow disassociate that God uses, like for instance, he uh, even uses an example of manna in the wilderness mm-hmm. as the provision of God. Yep. Uh, Jesus even says, as the manna has come down from heaven, so have I. I'm manna, I, the, me, I, I am your provision. I am the thing that sustained you.
0: Amen. I, I just, if I can really quickly. Yeah, Jesus, this is John chapter six. Again, just to be super clear, you can go look at it some point today where Christ is communicating a bunch of things, but he is involved in a conversation about manna because he had just fed people miraculously and people would come to him again for bread. And he starts this conversation about what they really want from him and all this kind of stuff. And people start to raise, well, you know, our fathers were, were fed in the wilderness by God with bread from heaven. And he's like, oh, the manna. Yeah. Let's talk about the manna. The manna was actually about me because I am the true bread that's come down from heaven. And he then goes on to talk about how anybody who's going to live needs to feed on him, needs to feed on his flesh and blood. John and I do understand that the table is in view there. Communion is in view there, but what Christ is communicating most fundamentally is He is our food. Mm. He is our nourishment. He is our sustenance, like you just said. And I think the parallels are really striking when you think about the manna and then you think about Christ. The people of God in the Old Covenant were sustained as they sojourned in the wilderness by bread that came down from heaven. And we now, in the New Covenant, as we sojourn in this world, On our way to the celestial city we are sustained by the bread that's come down from heaven namely christ himself and so we receive him by faith in the word and then we come and receive him and all of his benefits by faith in the bread and the cup if you're new to theocast we have a free ebook available for you called faith versus faithfulness a primer on rest and if you've struggled with legalism a lack of assurance or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a reformed confessional perspective. You
1: can get your free copy at theocast.org primer. Well, it's something that we carry with us until he returns because we will no longer need, you know, literally he says, I give you this thing until I return. Right. There's this great uh, illustration yeah, that kind of helped me in understanding Victor Hugo's, um, famous book, right? Lemez. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but there, there are two characters that, that I think is important here. So Jean Valjean is this criminal. spends has been, you know, 20 years in prison. He finally gets out, can't find anybody to give him any job or any anyways, but the Bishop finally gives him grace. He lets him see, uh, sit, uh, eat at his table, sleep at his bed. And in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean says, what a fool this Bishop is. I'm going to steal all of his silver and I'm going to go and start a new life for myself. And, well, you know, obviously Jean Valjean is not very smart because he ends up getting captured again by Javert, the the law in the, in the story. Javert is the law. The bishop is grace in this story. So they bring him back to the bishop and he says, he has stolen all your silver. And he's like, oh, I am so sorry, gentlemen, for the confusion. This is the bishop. I'm so sorry for the confusion, gentlemen. Uh, Jean Valjean, did you not remember to take the candlesticks, which is the most valuable thing that the bishop owned? And he gave him these two candlesticks. And of course, He says, sorry, gentlemen, for the confusion, but my friend here, he is free to go. And so Jean Valjean leaves and the bishop, the last thing he says to him, he says, use these, basically grace, use this to change your life, which is interesting at the very end of his life. And and a lot happens at at the end of the story and Jean Valjean ends up learning how to show grace and give mercy. And that's kind of what the story is about is law and mercy at the end of his life there's the, they're, they're talking about how he dies. It's beautiful. And behind him, he's sitting in this chair and behind him on the mantle on the fireplace are two candlesticks glowing. And he, that's the scene by which he dies and the way at which it's worded is basically he dies in the light, in the presence of grace. So he never sold those candlesticks. He held on to them because they were the constant reminder of what it is that changed him and what he received. And it's an amazing picture of communion in that we are given this constant glow of grace every week where we get to be reminded of, because in the story it was, here's grace and then they messed up and here's more grace. And that's like, I love what James says, but he gives more grace Mm -hmm. Communion is that more grace every week, right? We come and we live in the light of God's grace. And so we're remembering not what we have done for God. This is what he says, do this in remembrance of me. We are remembering what God in Christ did for us. And in that remembrance, the spirit comes and he yeah. strengthens us.
0: Yeah. I in one sense, we are remembering. When God remembered us most pointedly. <laughs> right, so good. Because, you know, whenever God remembers anything in the scripture, it's not just a cognitive thing. Mm-hmm. When God remembers his promises, he acts. That's right. He's acting based upon his promises. And the most uh, pointed acting upon his promise in the history of the world is not only the coming of Christ in his perfect life, but then the culmination of that perfect life in his sacrificial death for us. And so we're remembering when God remembered us in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the language that Jesus uses even when he institutes the Lord's Supper, for example, in in Matthew and in Luke, it's really good because you get language about the covenant, the fact that this is the new covenant in my blood. That's Luke 22 twenty two twenty this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood so the new covenant is established by the blood of christ mm. and so that's something that should be on our minds that's even right. as we come and and partake and receive and then in matthew's gospel in matthew 26 he breaks the bread and says take and eat this is my body and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins mm. So that also should be on our minds, as we're coming to receive the bread and the cup. As surely as I put the bread and the cup in my mouth, Christ died for me. I am a part of the new covenant in Christ's blood, and my sins are forgiven. Amen. on account of him. And that's what we're doing as we come. I want to read a little bit of language, John, if I may, from from people who have died long ago. But this might be good fodder for conversation for us. And then we'll even look to our own confession and some of the language that's contained there. And and this will probably carry us through to the end of the regular show, just in thinking about the gift that the Lord's Supper is to us from the Lord. So John Calvin, many know, pastored in Geneva. And in that church's liturgy for the Lord's Supper, we would read these words. These are great. Quote, Let us understand, therefore, That this sacrament, talking about the Lord's Supper, is a medicine for poor spiritually sick people. Put that on shirt, brother. Bro, that's good. (laughs) And we see only bread and wine, yet we do not doubt that He accomplishes spiritually in our souls all that He demonstrates to us outwardly through these visible signs, namely that He is the heavenly bread that feeds and nourishes us for eternal life. Mm. Close quotes. Calvin also elsewhere wrote that to demand perfection in order to receive the Lord's (laughs) Supper is ignorant and stupid. And he says, because it would make it useless and superfluous, because he says, quote, it was not instituted for the perfect, but for the weak and feeble, so as to awaken, prompt, rouse, and exercise whatever their faith and love might lack, close quote.
1: Well, Justin, even going back to that for a moment, I know we kind of glossed over this, but the word common union, is a play on that cuz what's the one what's the one barrier that would keep you from the table right if you have aught with a brother sure because that that's what it is we're communing together receiving of the father so how is it that you can receive grace but you're unwilling to show it and that's why Paul right. says don't don't do that don't take this in a way that you're you're showing favoritism for yourself over We need
0: to discern the body of Christ right meaning we need to consider our brethren mm as we're coming to the table. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, I'd like to read a real quick quote just from our own confession. This is where Justin and I find a a lot of confidence here. This is chapter 30 on the Lord's Supper uh, in the London Baptist Confession. And the opening paragraph says this, the supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by him the same night he was betrayed. It was to be observed in his churches to the end of the age as a perpetual remembrance and display of the sacrifice of himself in his death. It is to... It is given for the confirmation of faith of believers. Man, that is so, like, for our assurance. To confirm
0: us in the faith, man. It's so good. Amen.
1: It is given for the confirmation of faith of believers and all benefits of Christ's death, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him and the further engagement in and to all the duties they owe him the supper is to be a bond and pledge of their communion with christ and each other so it there is so much packaged in there and we've already unwrapped some of it but justin to go back and unravel some of this phrase at a time dude it's (laughs) so good he is saying it is uh to give it is given for the confirmation of their faith Now, Justin. Why would this be? Why would the reformers, the the writers of our confession, see this as a confirmation of faith? It is so opposite of modern day Christianity. We look to us as the confirmation of our faith, and the reformers say we look to Christ as the confirmation of our faith
0: wholesale. Yeah. So reformers use this kind of language about the preaching of the word as well. How are disciples confirmed in the faith? Well, it's to have the mercy and love and grace of Christ extolled to us. Yeah. To have the power and the office of Christ extolled to us, how are we confirmed in the faith? To have the bread and the wine given to us, yeah. so that we might participate. First Corinthians ten sixteen. You know, we participate in the body and the blood of Christ through this bread that we break and the cup that we drink. Yeah, and so yeah, it confirms us in the faith.
1: I mean, Justin, if you're a, if you're yeah. a person of character, because someone asks, well, how is it just taking bread and wine as a confirmation of faith? If you're a person of character, you cannot participate in good conscience, unless you believe in reality. Sure. I believe in reality that Christ did die for my sins, that his blood was shed, and that I am a part of the new covenant, and therefore I receive that. That's the confirmation of faith they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Unless you're not a person of character, if you're trusting in the gospel truth that it's communicating, it's a confirmation of your faith. No, amen. And it's a confirmation
0: of the faith of believers in all the benefits of Christ's death. So this is, again, getting into that participation language. We participate in the body and blood of Christ in the supper. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. It's that spiritually speaking, the Lord Jesus Christ ministers to us, feeds us, and we're going to talk about that nourishment piece in a minute, but he is communicating to us spiritually the benefits of his death. Well, what are those? I mean, namely, I mean, why do we need Jesus, right? This is a question I ask my children on a regular basis. Right. Why do you need Jesus? The two things that we can say immediately are forgiveness of sins and for righteousness. And so the benefits of his death start with that, the forgiveness of sins, righteousness under the law, and resurrection You know is coming as a result of those things. Mm-hmm. But the benefits of his death are those two things, forgiveness, yeah. righteousness. It- and And so it's confirming us in the faith mm-hmm. In all of those benefits. And so every time we come to the table, the Lord Jesus Christ is reminding and blessing and giving grace to that end that we would be confirmed in that. Amen. That, like I said a minute ago, as surely as you take this bread and this cup, your sins are forgiven. And as surely as you take this bread and this cup, you are just in the eyes of God because Amen. of me.
1: Well yeah. and it's uh, the reason why it needs to be remembered is that the human heart wants to find means to claim <laughs> i did this and as Ephesians 2 says so that no one may boast communion was offered by the father through through Christ saying yeah. remember how you were yeah. brought into relationship with the father so it yeah. is a confirmation because it pushes you outside of yourself and looking to Christ which there's a second aspect to it if we're going to go ahead and keep moving on for the second yeah, let's time do it. yeah So it says it gives a confirmation of faith of believers in all the benefits of Christ's death, their spiritual nourishment and growth. So let's start with nourishment. So when we think of nourishment, we think of being healthy, to be fed, right? So To be sustained. Man, this is why it's called a means of grace in that. There is, it is a way in which God sustains his believers. Justin, we're going to get into this some more as this series goes on, but I have to stop and say, we do not see the ordinary means of grace as the means of our nourishment. We love yeah. to individualize this. It's me and my discipline that is the means of my nourishment. I put in the time And so far, if you look at every ordinary means of grace, we've done so far, which is baptism, that is not an individual act. Communion is not an individual act. And the preaching taught word is not an individual act. And I'm gonna go ahead and quote our dear friend, Steve here. Steve Meisner, when he says, uh, quoting, uh, quoting about the being a good Berean, A good Berean is not one who individually goes to the word to confirm the words. It was, they did it together. It was a corporate exercise. The point of it is God is always using the gathered body and his means to nourish us. Man, we just love to say, no, no, no. It's my individual efforts. It's my own discipline. It's my own whatever it is you want to put in there. And I'm sorry, but as of right now, The promises of Scripture are coming to us as a corporate gathered body.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, we receive the food of the word. We receive the food of the table Mm. on the Lord's day. And it is how the Lord sustains us in this life. And like I said, I love the parallels between Israel in the wilderness and the manna Mm. and the saints in the new covenant, sojourners, exiles, feeding on the Lord Jesus Christ, being sustained in this pilgrimage Mm. until we are brought home finally. And so, yeah, we are nourished and we're grown in the faith. I mean, how so? Now it's like how about many growth. people? How many people would ever answer that? Like, well, what's happening in the Lord's Supper? Uh, or well, ask them gro- the question: being How being do you grow I, in that's the faith? Where I was going next? Yeah, <laughs> how do you grow in the faith? Nobody's going to say, no. "Oh, well, I part of my growth in the faith is the fact that I come to the
1: table each Sunday. Huh? I, I've been baptized, and I've- I come to the table every Sunday. <laughs> yeah,
0: but this again is an ordinary means of grace perspective. We that's understand right. that. You know our theology, our piety, our practice. You know it's grounded in the local church, and all of that is realized. Our in particular, our piety, and this is where we're going to go in a second. Hmm. Our piety is realized through the ordinary means of grace. That's right. And so when we talk about how do you grow and become more godly, how do you become more pious, uh, how do you, even in the next phrase, I'm going to kind of dovetail these go ahead, together. For go for it. How do you further engage? in and to all the duties that you owe the Lord Jesus Christ, how would you go about doing that? Hmm. Well, you come to the table for that reason. So we have made the table about our godliness, when in reality, the table was given to us by God for our godliness. To fuel it. Right? And that, man, it's a paradigm shift. It is.
1: Yeah, I mean, even going back to, we quote this all the time, but I have to quote it, couple of passages, 2 Peter one nine, mm-hmm. he's talking about the godliness of a person and he says, if you're not doing these actions, you've forgotten you've been cleansed from your former sins. Gospel amnesia. Right, gospel amnesia. So Jesus says, in order you don't forget, remember this. Uh, or mm-hmm. even you think about Philippians 2, right? If you see the benefits of being in Christ, considers other more significant than yourself. This mm-hmm. is where the, the writers of the Confession get this. Ephesians 4, walk in a manner worthy, right? These are the duties that are required of you. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with gentleness, meekness, and patience. So when you think about if you're struggling in your obedience, if you're mm-hmm. struggling to glorify God in loving others, if you're struggling to be satisfied in Christ in the will That he has for you. We are instructed by scripture to be using the means of grace, aka communion, to sustain us and grow us so that we can do the duties that are required of us. Uh, To be clear now, these are not duties to confirm our salvation, these are not duties to earn favor with God. They are the reflection of the nature. And this is why we say they are born out of gratitude because what is it you are looking to? The gift of the gospel through the means of the table, as your motivation to obey the Father.
0: Last thing it says in our confession about the table that I think we want to talk about for a moment as well is this. This is the last sentence of 30.1 in the Second London Confession. The supper is to be a bond and pledge of their communion, so common union, with Christ and each other. Hmm. So This, again, is why you don't take the Lord's Supper individually. That's right. You know, you wouldn't take it by yourself someplace. You would take it with the body of Christ. Because the supper is about our union with Christ and our union with one another. We use the language a lot in our church. We all cling to one another as we cling to Christ. Amen. And that's the picture of it. I mean, this is the language of 1 Corinthians in a number of different places. We've already picked up on 1 Corinthians 11 and how when Paul says that if somebody comes and eats and drinks without discerning the body, what he's meaning is you're not discerning the body of Christ. That's what it is to take the supper in an unworthy manner. Uh, but then in 1 Corinthians 10, I want to pick back up on this language. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So this. This idea of our union with Christ and our participation in the body and blood of Christ is inextricably tethered, according to the apostle Paul, to our union with one another as Christ's body. It's a beautiful picture mm. you know, of how we together come with a collective sense of our need of Christ. We together come to receive the bread and the cup as a sign of our union with Christ, the forgiveness of our sins and righteousness in His name, and our union with one another as His people. Mm
1: it's so good it's very edifying it is well and justin that last phrase it it, again it just goes against everything that we have been trained in that the supper is to bind us together as believers we individualize it right this is why i say look to your left look to your right and realize we are being bound together through growth and sustenance Together we are receiving from Christ, not individually. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone asks you, Justin, hey, how how's how are you how's your faith in Christ doing? Our thought is individually. Oh, Our of course. Thought should be. Like for instance, if I were to say, How's your family doing? You wouldn't think about yourself. You'd think, all right, well, my me and my wife and my children, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how we should think about our faith. And like, how, how's my family doing? Like, how are we as a body? Because he describes you as one body. And communion is just another reminder that you are not alone. At least you're not supposed yeah. to be. You're not supposed to be doing this by yourself. So there is so much more we can say and we'll say. So I'm going to throw it over to Justin.
0: So we're about to head to some additional content time known as the Semper Reformanda podcast or SR for short, uh, for the cool kids, they say SR, I think. So what this is, is some additional content John and I record each week for our members, for people who have partnered with Theocast to support the ministry. And if you're curious about how you could become an SR member, you can find all the information about that over on the website, theocast.org. I think it's pretty straightforward. You guys are bright and you know how to navigate a website. We're confident in that. There's a lot that you're uh, privy to if you're an SR member, not just this extra podcast, but an app, an SR community that's being built of brothers and sisters who are wrestling through the same things you are and are learning and growing together. And it's a really sweet environment, really encouraging people answer one another's questions. It's like Facebook, but better. That's what I always say. <laughs> so I encourage you to consider becoming an SR member today if you're not already. And then you can hear whatever John and I are going to talk about pertaining to the Lord's Supper.
1: I think we should talk about, what if you're in a church that doesn't take it every week, how do you handle that? I think we should talk about that.
0: We could give that a go. Maybe amongst other things. We'll see.
1: The Lord knows.
0: (laughs) Anyway, we're grateful for you tuning in today. We hope you were encouraged by this conversation. And If there's one final takeaway from us, Remember that baptism and the Lord's Supper, both as sacraments that God has given us for our benefit are about his faithfulness to us, not our faithfulness to him. So be encouraged as we receive these gifts from God. Amen. We'll talk with you guys again next week. Amen.